I really wanted to um, help people enjoy their spaces. And I knew that I wanted to build forts for grownups, you know, somewhere that you could go imagine and live and play and just like, just have your best life. Right. Take your coffee. Yeah. Take your coffee in the morning, take your book in the afternoon, listen to the birds. Hey there. Welcome back to Mid-Mod Remodel. This is the show about updating MCM homes, helping you match a mid-century home to your modern life. I'm your host, Della Hansman, architect and mid-century ranch enthusiast. You're listening to Season 4, Episode 6. Today, though, we're talking about what happens outside an MCM home. At the start of the season, I promised I'd share some high-level approaches to a bunch of different aspects of a home update. We've talked aging in place, adding sustainability, and I promised that we would talk about one of my most asked questions. What should I do with the yard of my mid-century home? The thing is, that's not my area of expertise. I am not a natural plant person. So I reached out to someone whose design opinion I really respect, and who is much better qualified to give you some ideas for your mid-century yard. Today I'm talking with Sarah Meyer of Green Thumb Sam in Boise, Idaho. As always, if you want links to the things we reference in the show, mostly Sarah's contact info, plus a quick overview of the wide range of topics we'll cover today with timestamps, pop over to the show notes at midmod-midwest.com slash 406. Sarah really covered a lot of ground, ooh, pun not intended, in this conversation. So without further ado, let's jump into the chat. Here is Sarah telling me what drew her to landscape architecture in the first place. So as a child, both sides of my um, family, my grandparents on either side, had amazing gardens and amazing yards. And it was the most fun to just go get lost out in their yards when I was a little kid. And uh, one set of grandparents, they lived in a ranch that was built in, I'd say, 52. And they had just an amazing backyard where they had a rockery. So it was very classic rockery with rockery plants. And then they put in a koi pond in the back corner. They had a beautiful ornamental border. And then they had a wonderful vegetable and cutting garden. And um, I only had two other cousins on that side. And I was the oldest. And I could just go out in the yard with them and stay out there all day. So it was like an amazing fort. And then my grandparents on the other side had built um, a custom A-frame house. And they lived on a couple of acres. And I grew up in the Seattle area. And we had wonderful forested area. And my grandpa built me and my cousins on that side, two boys. In the Douglas firs, we had a fort called Fort Fernie. Oh, I love that. Then if in Seattle, I'm sure it was aptly named for many ferns. Oh, very much so. So two vastly different styles of gardens, um, but just the chance to just go play and imagine and explore and just be in nature um, was absolutely amazing. And then I grew up on acreage and we lived out in the country. And there was a creek down by my house and we'd go down and make forts. So I always knew whatever I would do, I would create spaces for people to enjoy just as much as I had enjoyed. Oh, that is amazing. And coming from, you know, when you really love it, then it's a fun thing to do with every day. So do you have a design background or is it something that you've sort of built for yourself out of life experience? It's, um, I definitely have a design background. So I... (laughs) by chance took a horticulture class in high school as an elective. And I just absolutely fell in love with learning all the plants and the Latin. So I knew when I was going to go to college that I would go for environmental horticulture with an emphasis in landscape design. And so I've been professionally designing gardens for 20 years now. I started in 2000. And loving them since childhood. That's a good body of knowledge there. 
Yeah. I also worked at a retail nursery in Issaquah, Washington for 15 years. Um, one of my first jobs where I started out watering the plants and then by the end, you know, was doing all the displays and the social media and running the place um, and learning the plants. So it was a great hand in hand experience having my design business on the side and then my customers and clients that would come into the nursery and I could pick out all the plants for them. That is wonderful. And it doesn't surprise me to hear that you were involved in the social media for their business because your social media is so great. I love following your Instagram account, which is how I first learned of you. If people are listening at home and want to check it out, it is, let's see, it's at Green Thumb Sam, right? Correct. On Insta, and it's wonderful. Thank you so much. My grandpa who built the fort for me has always called me Sam. And so that's where the Green Thumb Sam comes from. It's my initials. Oh, I love that. That's really sweet. So let's focus on mid-century since that is this podcast. Um, I know you work with owners of a bunch of different types of homes, but many of them or some of them in Boise are mid-century style houses. So not too long ago, you gave a talk renovating your mid-century landscape for the Idaho Botanical Garden. I remember seeing word of that online and wishing I could just sci-fi myself right over to attend it. If we would have been doing this whole Zoom thing, you know, it would have been really easy, but that was the time we were doing this, so... Well, it's one, maybe, uh, I hate to say even a silver lining of COVID, but one effect of COVID has been, I think in the future, live public events will be much more easy to organize people into making them also online events, hopefully. So what are your thoughts for mid-century home yards? Okay, so I have a little bit of experience with this because the first home that my husband and I bought was a 1952 ranch. And... Yeah, I always thought that I should have been born, born, you know, 10 to 20 years previous, because I just love the whole concept of indoor outdoor living. And so um, over seven years, we just changed that landscape incredibly. But when you're looking at um, how to renovate or even how to design your mid century landscape, um, the most important thing is to start with what you have. So you want to, of course, do Um, site inventory and site analysis. So you want to go to your yard and you want to say, okay, there's a fence running down this side of the yard. There's this great um, big maple in the backyard. There's these shrubs, there's a hedge. And then you want to say what kind of condition it's in. Like, is this tree failing or is this fence have a hole in it and the dog gets through? Um, What's going on with my irrigation? You know, does it do I have irrigation? All, all the things. You have to look at all of the things because you're getting a landscape that has been lived in for years. Um, and it's important that you do that step so that you can really take into consideration what the views are out the windows, um, what the views are out the backyard. Like you might be able to take advantage of a neighbor's tree in a far off distance, or if you live um, in a place that has mountains or hills, you might be able to take advantage of that. You also, it's a good idea to be in your home for just a little bit, unless you know your plants, so that you can kind of figure out what's going on in what season, so that you have seasonal interest and something going on year-round. So site inventory, you know, looking at what you have and then analyzing it and saying, okay, this is in good repair. Is this something I need to get rid of? Is it something I should keep? Um, An example of something you should keep is like, we know traditionally um, with mid-century homes, the lawn was everything and hedges that you could just go out and trim really quickly were everything because 
you know, people were coming home from the war, they were having children, they were spending a lot of time in the backyard, they had appliances to take care of everything for them. So having really simple maintenance was what they did. That's definitely what you see in the Midwest is it's like a big lawn and right around the house, a couple of either totally ill-groomed or very precisely groomed, depending on how active their previous owner was, little sort of sculptured hedges, maybe two varieties. Yeah, we see that all the time here. In fact, that's what I had on my property when I bought the house. (laughs) Yeah, so just like in fashion, plants had popularity. Mm-hmm. And junipers were really huge back then and yews and laurel, anything that you could run outside and just buzz down so that you could be hanging out with your family instead of doing yard work, um, which now we know that can create kind of a monoculture for habitat. Mm-hmm. And so now as things have evolved and changed and um, become more fashionable pollinator garden and creating habitat, um, And being our own little yard warriors is really, really um, important. So you have to see what you have. Maybe you you do have some cool junipers that you could prune up into like a pom-pom shape. You wouldn't want to get rid of those because you wouldn't want to buy them because they'd be so expensive. So maybe you could keep something like that and then add those cool things to it um, that give you color or give you interest or make your heart sing for helping the environment or yeah, just being beautiful for curb appeal. It's funny to see you hear you say uh fashion because I think it's it's true I wonder how much you see interiors in mid-century houses you sometimes find a yard well you sometimes see a yard that looks very like oh my gosh this has not changed since it was built and you sometimes see an interior that has not changed since it was built but do you also see yards that have been sort of like done over in the 80s or done over in the 90s in a way that you could identify Oh, yes, most definitely. Um, So, uh, you know, in the 60s, we saw a lot of railroad ties, or at least out, you know, towards the West Coast. Uh Nope, got that here too. (laughs) Yep, so you'd find that. Um, Different types of rock, like the white rock was really, really big deal at one point in time. Um, And you can just really see it change based on people's needs. So like, If it was a builder home to start, you can kind of see an evolution based on the projects that would be around the home. So like you could see the original concrete pad, but then maybe the family who had it decided that they would expand. So you would see either new concrete or a different type of paver or rock or gravel around it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you would see, you know, it might look like another family had left their mark because they would have put rocks or a rockery in the yard or... That's fascinating. I see the same thing happen in interiors, too. Eras layered on top of eras. It's an interesting challenge. So when you approach a new design today, do you have go-to design elements or approaches that you use? Oh, yeah, most most definitely. So um, you always want to let the architecture of the house speak for itself. So unless you're going for a really, really private garden and you want seclusion from the street, you definitely want to highlight your home's best features. So if that's bringing the eye, the eye up to clerestory windows or um, low-hanging roof lines, you can use plants to frame that um, and, and bring attention to it. Um, you don't want to distract so much. So 
one thing to do is establish mass collection. And so that's a lot of one thing. So sometimes that will be a certain plant that I, that I absolutely love that I'm going to pull through the entire design, like a particular ornamental grass or something big and bold, like an ornamental artichoke that has huge chunky silver leaves and thistle-like blooms on it, because it's just unexpected. And if your eye can land on on big clumps of mass collected plants it's very soothing because we don't have this program running in the back of our mind going oh i gotta sort this out and this has to be there and you know it's very calming that way yeah yeah dominance is really important so so you have a beautiful big picture window um out the front of your house and you can see all the comings and goings of the street um you that 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 feature dominates the front of the house. Mm -hmm. And so you want to call attention to that and maybe frame that with a really cool conifer so that your eye hits the conifer, you have a little bit of privacy, but then it goes to that window. And I notice you say at conifer rather than symmetrically framing that window on two sides with the same thing, for example. Right, right. So there's all different styles of garden design and that would lend itself to more of a formal, feeling that might be better with a uh, different architecture, but not necessarily for mid-century. Interesting. There's so much you're saying about organizing massing plants that I would, I never feel comfortable telling people what to plant, but I do tell them the same sort of thing about how about a color element that appears in a couple of different places to rest your eye on or a fence material that you find taller over here and lower and elongated over here. So it's, it's just really interesting. I'm uh I'm hearing things resonate back and forth, which doesn't surprise me at all because landscapes and houses are so closely integrated. So you just called attention to like a fence and repeating a fence, you know, maybe at a lower height. Mm-hmm. That's another really important thing is repetition. So you want to repeat the same hardscape elements throughout the yard to tie the front and the backyard together. So it feels like one cohesive picture. You want to use repetition. You want to repeat the same color in a different texture or the same texture in a different color. So um, that could be, um, yeah, you may have a shrub that turns a brilliant red color in the fall. And you might also have an ornamental grass that you have planted that has a reddish seed head. So that would be the same color. Um, Oh, I like that. That's a great thought. And if you can repeat that, then that's repetition and it, it calms the brain down again and just makes your eye move through the landscape. That's so interesting. It sounds like, I know part of your background is that you spent some time as an estate gardener in a Japanese garden. And for me in the Midwest, my brain goes to Japanese inspiration, Frank Lloyd Wright, mid-century ranches. We have a really strong sort of back and forth there. And so do you see that there's a Japanese component or a Japanese garden inspiration through line into mid-century approaches to garden design? Oh, most definitely. I, I most for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I grew up in the Seattle area, um, in the foothills, um, out by Issaquah and Maple Valley. And one of the first gardens that I tended to was a mid-century home that had a very um, Northwest Japanese um, garden to it. Um, and then when we moved to Olympia, Washington, I was able to be um, an estate gardener for a two and a half acre just amazing Japanese gardens with a giant koi pond and Zen sand garden. Yeah. They're very similar styles because you have, um, you have 
and I don't want to call it void because it's not void, but you have a lot of mass and you have a lot of void. So if you can have your eye move from one feature of the landscape to another and then to the house, it just creates that very calming feeling. So yeah, they, those two styles intertwine hugely. So when people come to you, what percentage of your business would you say at a guess is, is mid-century oriented? You know, right now I would say it's pretty big. I would say at least half. It's a strong influence in Boise and it's also a popular uh, style trend at the moment. Or I hate to call it trendy because it's, I think it's, it is in fashion now. So in that sense, it is true, but trendy feels so much more momentary Whereas I feel like this is more of an era of appreciation. Um, an, era, an era of appreciation and, and smart, you know, uh, mid-century homes were built in neighborhoods that had schools and had sidewalks and had kind of a community feeling. Um, yes, there was a lot of activity happening in the backyard, but, you know, there was a chance to kind of catch up with your neighbors and, and, and see uh, what was going on with everybody. Two weeks ago, I was talking about sustainability and how to sneak some sort of secret sustainability elements into your home remodel while you're doing other things. Is that something that you keep in mind? I'm assuming the answer is yes. When you're planning for someone's yard? Yes, yes, very much so. So, um, genius loci is very important in the spirit of the place. And, um, a lot of times you'll see something that is just a garden or a front yard that is just too overly maintained. And where I am in Boise, um, it's the Intermountain West, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's high desert elevation. And so anytime uh, that we're doing gardening or yard work or bringing product into the yard, um, I like to keep it as locally sourced as possible, not only because that's better for the environment, um, but also because that calls back to the genius loci or the spirit of our place and where we are. We're, we're so, it's so wonderful for us. We can just, the foothills are five, 10 minutes away. We have all these wonderful, beautiful hiking trails. And so trying to steer people to towards plants that are more beneficial for this area and the inhabitants of this area, the birds and the bees and the pollinators um, yeah. is a huge focus and, and use less water because we rely so heavily on irrigated water. And as this, as this valley grows, you know, it only increases that draw. Yeah. So when we are making our plant choices, we can still achieve the same design elements that you would find in a mid-century landscape, but just using um, plants that are native or native cultivars to the region um, and relying on plants that are more xeric and drought tolerant to uh, use sustainability in our landscapes. For someone who is perhaps inclined to be overwhelmed by yards and could do just one or two things, what would you recommend to, to make a first strike or, or get your toe in the water with your yard? So the first thing that you should do is really just site analysis and site inventory and see what you have um, and how to take care of it. And if you're up for taking care of it, like, like you said, um, some people are into mowing a lawn all the time. So that might be a really great point to either plant the area or approach it design wise in a different way. I encourage my clients a lot of times to go back and check out Google street view if they're new. 
um, so that they can see, even if it's just a few years ago, what was going on. Um, and then, of course, if, you're, if your house is older, you can always check out the library and see if there's any, you know, documents that have pictures of the house. So you can kind of get back to the original root or intention. Know what you like and know what you don't like. I mean, and if that is that you have to go to Pinterest and pin a million different ideas, and even if they're different styles and you organize them that way to know what look you're going for so that you can work towards it and not against it. Um, it's kind of taking in that whole overall picture um, from above of how spaces relate to one another and how you want to use them and what's what's important, how many people you're going to have coming over to hang out um, on average once we're past uh, the pandemic. Right. In the future, in the after times. Yes, in the future, in the after times. Um, what is your top number? Like, or do you host Thanksgiving every year? Not that you're necessarily going to be inside and outside, but if you can even accommodate the entrance to the home with a little bit more open space, then you won't have people bunching up at the door. This is so close to what I say when I'm having people start with their house. See what you have, what original features remain. Let's talk about your lifestyle. How are you going to use the space? Is it a gathering space? Is it a private space? I love it. Design is design. And I think the best of design is to make the built or the landscaped environment work with your lifestyle and, and make your life better in your family. Oh, definitely. And that's a very good, that, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I always tell my clients or when I'm giving a design class for the outside um, is think of your yard as outdoor rooms. And, and we know what rooms have, they have walls and they have floors and they have ceilings. So outside it's the same thing. And you can organize your activities based on that idea of outdoor rooms and how you're going to move through them. So you might have a really great tree in the back corner that provides branches overhead that are about eight feet. And that would be such a nice place to maybe have a patio and go sit under, um, you know, maybe there's a deteriorating fence and you could put a really great fence up or a screen in front of it um, to add some privacy. So you have to think of what materials you want for um, those outdoor rooms and the walls and the floor and the ceiling and that overhead plane. That's so great. That's so in line with, I think, what's wonderful about mid-century homes and my approach to making them your own. So if people want to learn with you, perhaps hire you, or at the very least, study your Instagram with great care, where can they find you online? So you can find me at Green Thumb Sam on Instagram. And uh, I would say that's what I update the most. I'm also on Facebook, but I also have a website, greenthumbsam.com. And um, yeah, I do everything from consultations. So just coming over for an hour and uh, whipping out a quick sketch with um plants in it and, and what a general layout should be um, all the way up to final drafted master plans that I draw by hand. Um, Beautifully. Yeah. Well, it just, it gives me so much joy and I think drawing is such a great way to solve problems um, and to move through them and turn those uh, something that might be problematic into something that is just a wonderful solution that, you know, really makes the yard sing and makes your heart sing when you can go hang out in the backyard or the front yard. Um, yeah, so. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much. It has been a real pleasure having you. Thank you. 
I'm going to go right back to the beginning of this recording and start the conversation over taking notes. I'm so inspired to think about my yard in a different way, and I bet you are too. Seriously, go find Sarah's Instagram. You won't be sorry. Get that link plus the outline to the show notes at midmod-midwest.com slash 406. If you enjoyed this conversation, let me know in a review. And when you subscribe to the podcast, you'll ensure you catch every episode and any new guests that I can extrovert my way into inviting to the show. That's it for today. Next week will be the last of this season. We're wrapping up with a plan to pre-select the major elements of your home remodel and build your own style guide to keep a remodel on track. I can't wait to share it with you. For the moment, though, go outside and start dreaming about how you can make your yard a more wonderful space.